Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day. Thanks. I don't know why I'm so fortunate. I got to preach on Mother's Day this year and then Father's Day. And uh, Tom, I don't know when Grandparents' Day is, but you can sign me up, I guess. Um, well, it, it is very, uh, very interesting that, you know, we're, we're, in, we're going along preaching out of Matthew, and uh, today's chapter is all about, I feel like, it's about revealing the heart of God our Father, Jesus revealing the Father to us. And uh, so it's really appropriate that we're talking about this on Father's Day. Um, some, of a, some of you may be missing your fathers. Some of your earthly fathers may, may not have been good fathers, but we all have a heavenly father um, who is awesome. So uh, let's, let's just start with prayer. Father, we love you and we praise you. And uh, we echo what we sang before. Reveal your heart to us. Reveal your heart in us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come um, speak to our hearts and apply your word to our lives. Give us your grace and give us understanding and faith and the grace to obey. And draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start out with a question. Um, Why do people reject God? And, and uh, you might say, well, there's all kinds of reasons why people reject God or, or don't believe. Um, I, just, I find that in the people that I've met and talked to about the Lord, whether it be here in the United States or in China, um, deep down, there really aren't that many people I've met who, who truly don't believe that God exists. And if you talk to them, and pressed to the heart of their thinking, even if they've embraced secularism and evolution, when it comes down to it, um, the truth is that they've followed that path because they've become disillusioned some way with God. And uh, they're they're blaming him for some kind of pain, some kind of offense, injustice that they've suffered or met up with in life or seen. And uh, you'll often hear people say this question, well, if God is so good, then why does he allow us so much injustice in the world? Why does he allow us sin in the world? Or more specifically, you might hear somebody say, well, if God is so good, why did he uh, take my mother away from me? Or why did he take my child away from me? Or, or some other tragedy, why has he allowed me to suffer with pain and sickness? Uh, why did he do that? Um, and, and what you hear is actually, actually they're blaming him. Um, and people often reject God because they believe a lie that leads to misjudgment about his character. And they blame him for things that um, he is not to be blamed for. And we know that, we know that there is a liar out there who would like to uh, make us misjudge the truth about God, our Father. 
Now, our family, uh, usually on Friday nights, maybe now Saturday nights, since Michael has to work at five every Saturday morning, um, <coughs> our family will watch a movie together. And uh, since half of us are women, and uh, when the boys are <coughs> at school, then it's three-fourths <coughs> three of us are women. Um, sometimes we watch chick flicks, okay? And, uh, you know, a wise husband actually will watch chick flicks with his wife. You know that, Paul, right? Yeah, yeah that's, that's not a bad idea. Um, but uh, it, it, so if you're like us, you may be familiar with the movie Pride and Prejudice, which is from a, a, f a famous Jane Austen novel, a classic novel from the, uh, from the uh, 19th century, I think. In set in England. And if you've read one Jane Austen novel or seen movie, you've pretty much seen the plot of all of them because uh, it's like disadvantaged family uh, gets entangled with, with rich and proud and haughty family and there's a big misunderstanding and all is lost and then uh, the, the right guy and girl get together in the end and that's, that's pretty much it. Um, <coughs> and... Pride and Prejudice is, is like that. Uh, why do I bring it up now? Uh, well, in that movie, the, the, the lead female character, her name is Elizabeth Bennett. She's um, confident, opinionated. She makes a serious misjudgment about the, laid, uh, the main lead uh, male protagonist, whose name is Mr. Mr. Darcy, Mr. Fitzwilliam Darcy. And, uh, and also she believes a lie about him, but she, just looking at the surface of things and listening to the lie about him, she thought he was the most terrible man in the world. Um, but as the story goes on, she comes to see through his actions uh, that he is actually uh, very caring, very upright, uh, very humble and sac sacrifices actually to help her family and her out of love for her and doing the right thing. And she, she comes actually to see, she gets a revelation of truth about him and comes to see that, that he is the man of her dreams. And uh, she just needed a true revelation of who he really was. And like Mr. Darcy, our Heavenly Father is also often misjudged by humanity, by people in the world. Um, he's got an enemy who has sown lies to us about his character, who has blamed him for wrongs that he hasn't done, and has painted a picture of him that's distant and evil rather than loving and good. Um, so, but as we look at Jesus' life and words, and that's what we really felt as elders that God wanted us to especially look at what Jesus said and what he did during our preaching this year. Um, one thing, one huge thing that we see uh, is that as he came to earth as a man, he came to reveal the true actions and the true heart of his father, God. And um, to, to, hum to humanity. The question is this, will we believe this revelation of the Father that Jesus is showing and telling us 
uh, as he comes, when he came to earth. Um, now, as, as we've gone through Matthew, we've seen that, that actually Matthew is a parallel of the Old Testament, and we see that Jesus, he's the son of God. He called himself the son of man. Uh, he's the, in, in the New Testament, he's called the second Adam, and he came as the true Israel. You know, Israel had failed in their covenant with God, but Jesus came and fulfilled in all righteousness, walked as a, he was a true man, and walked as a human being, also the son of God, but to fulfill the the covenant, uh, not only for himself, but also for us. Um, He fulfills it completely. He's the righteous son, and he's come to lead us into righteous relationship uh, as sons and daughters of God our Father. So as we, we look now into chapter 11, as it begins, we see John the Baptist sends messengers to Jesus. Now John was compared to Elijah in the Old Testament. Uh, he's the new Elijah, and he's come to reveal the truth about Jesus and the Father. But where is he now? He's imprisoned in Herod's palace, and he's languishing in jail, and and. He sends a strange question to Jesus. He, asked, he has his disciples ask him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Je- Jesus gives this unusual answer also. He doesn't exactly answer the question directly, which Jesus often is like that. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Um, So the first question is, why is John asking this? John's the one who baptized Jesus and introduced him to the world prophetically. This is the Son of God. Um, In chapter 3, um, well, first of all, one thing, in verse 14, we see that Jesus called John the Elijah who is to come. Who, now, who was Elijah? He was a prophet who warned Israel about God's coming judgment. And in chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, um, John said this when he was preaching in the wilderness. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So remember, John's message, he didn't go out there and say, God is love, come be baptized and receive Jesus into your heart. He didn't word it like that. 
<laughs> John came and said, hey, judgment is coming. Come and uh, be baptized. Repent of your sins and follow the one who's going to come who will save you. And <clears throat> so John it was like Elijah. He was proclaiming, hey, he was warning of judgment. Judgment is coming. Uh, repent and be saved. And, uh, but there he was saying that, and now where is he? He's still in languishing in Herod's prison. Has judgment come yet? <laughs> He's not experiencing it at the moment uh, with those who have wronged him. Herod's not been judged. John, the preacher of righteousness, is still being unjustly persecuted by him. In fact, Jesus answers John's question by telling him information that John must already know, you know, because he's heard reports from his own disciples. The, the uh, blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. All good things. Uh, these things are all actions that are fulfilling various, uh, several different prophecies from Isaiah about the Messiah, that he was going to do those mighty, amazing things to, to show mercy on people. Um, but Jesus is leaving out some words from those, those prophecies, words about judgment, because they're in there, that, that he's going to bring justice and judge evildoers. But Jesus leaves those words out. Um, you know, if John is the new Elijah, then Jesus who came after him is following in the ministry of Elisha, right? Elisha came after Elijah. And Elisha, um, he went around doing many merciful miracles. You remember all the miracles that Elisha did? Things like uh, raising uh, widows' dead sons and uh, providing food miraculously for uh, poor people, um, healing people, making an axe head float up in the water when somebody had lost one he'd borrowed in the water, um, purifying a poison stew that was ruined by putting the wrong thing in it. Um, all these things are merciful miracles Elijah, Elisha was known for. Um, although he did send a she-bear to maul 42 youths who made fun of him because of his bald head, which we can understand that one, right? But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll give him, give him a, a mulligan for that one. Um, but actually, you know, this is what uh, God had told Elijah about calling Elisha to be his successor in 1 Kings chapter 19. He said, and the Lord said to him, Lord's talking to Elijah, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Yehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes the sword of Hazael shall Yehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Yehu shall Elisha put to death. So when God calls Elisha, the intent is, is kind of a prophet of judgment. 
of putting to death the, the evildoers because at that time, Elijah, you know, King Ahab, wicked Queen Jezebel were reigning at that time and, it, and it, things were looking bad like the world is going crazy. Our nation is in uproar and crazy and they're, the ungodly are all over the place. That sounds familiar. <laughs> um, so what we're saying is this. Uh, through the miracles of God's goodness and mercy that Jesus is doing, he's revealing the true heart and character of God his Father, which is both goodness, but also justice. You might say, well, how, how does it reveal justice? God has been maligned by his enemies, and people have believed the lies. But Jesus is revealing by his miraculous actions and his words of truth who God really is. And then those who see and hear are going to have a choice to make. And this is where the judgment comes in. He's saying, hey, God really is good. He's a good father. He loves you. He is good to you. You've rejected him, but now come back to him. Return to him. Follow me. And then people are left with a choice. Uh, do we believe and follow the good, just, righteous father whom he's revealing to us? Or reject him. So Jesus, uh, it's, John said, his winnowing fork is in his hand. And threshing, you guys know what threshing wheat is. But they chop up the wheat and beat the wheat so that the grain falls off. And then it's a big pile. There's grain and there's all the chaff. Uh, and the winnowing fork is like, I don't know, a pitchfork or something. And you see those guys on a windy day, they just throw it up in the air. All the stuff that is not grain blows out of the way and the the good grain falls back down and so winnowing and threshing of wheat is a picture of judgment of people of the world and so when it says john says jesus winnowing fork is in his hand it means he's here ready to judge and we know that jesus at the end of time is going to be the judge but as jesus walked on earth he was showing the mercy the goodness the righteousness of god and then calling people, follow me, put your faith in God. Uh, and people had a choice, reject God or receive him and believe in him and obey him. <clears throat> um, all who receive Jesus' words will be saved, but all who reject this revelation of truth will be judged. Now, verse 12 is sometimes a hard one to interpret it says, Jesus says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. And, uh, you know, I think there are several ways we can interpret that, that one. But in general, I think it means that uh, the coming of the kingdom of heaven is such a powerful and critical event in every person's life life that is going to produce a kind of a violent reaction. Um, it, it, it's going to attract controversy. It's going to bring persecution. It's going to affect drastic change in the lives of people who accept him. Um, it's going to manifest supernatural activity. It's going to shift priorities. And it's going to lead people to take desperate action. Um, 
because it's that kind of thing. It's so great, people are going to react violently one way or the other to it. And um, I think one way to explain it is, is just to look at the lives of people affected by the kingdom of God. Some examples from the New Testament. Uh, first one is Paul. He went from persecuting the church and killing Christians to being to preaching the gospel and and being put at risk for the for the name of Jesus. Uh, he caused riots and controversy where he went on his missionary journeys, and uh, his preaching, of course, was followed with signs of power um, by the Holy Spirit. Another example would be the thief on the cross. Just the plain fact that. Uh, in one afternoon, he went from criminal being executed to citizen in paradise in heaven. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a violent uh, change. Think about the woman with the issue of blood. She fought her way through a crowd, even though she was breaking the traditional law by doing so because she was unclean. She fought her way through the crowd just to touch the hem of Jesus' garment in order to be healed. The violent take the kingdom by force. Um, how about Zacchaeus? He's a, a man of, I don't know, a rich man. I, I don't know if he was a man of, ups, he wasn't an upstanding man, but he uh, climbed up in a tree just to see Jesus because he knew he was coming by and he was a short man. Uh, but then when Jesus came to his house, he re repented. He left his lucrative job and uh, repaid fourfold everyone that he had cheated. And we see that just like that, a drastic change in his life because the kingdom came into his life. So when Jesus reveals the heart of the Father to people, the response is powerful, life-changing, and controversial because it touches the purpose for which we were all made. Um, to those who believe it is positive and life-giving, brings healing and, and change and righteousness and um, everything good. To those who don't believe though, it, it kinda hits the deepest nerve uh, and illuminates the most severe lack in their existence and I think that's why one of the reasons why persecution happens um, and people who reject Christ get so violent about it. Of course, there's the devil around too who motivates, unfortunately, motivates people who aren't in God's kingdom. Um, but it, it's, it, the deepest need, our deepest need is to know the love of our Father. And so that it has such a profound effect on people whether for good or, or for, for bad. Um, Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting at verse 15. He says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. For to one, to one a fragrance from death to death, and to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? It just describes the, uh, the significance of us who carry the message of the gospel and why some people will love us and some people absolutely hate us and persecute us um, because death doesn't smell nice. Um, nobody wants to be judged. So then we go on to verses 16 to 19. 
Jesus starts talking about the peoples around him in this generation. And he, he remember, he's talking about there's going to be a division, a choice to be made as he reveals the Father. And, uh, you know, when he says this generation, it could be talking about, he is talking about the generation of people who are there around him in Israel. But he's also talking about any further generation that is receiving the gospel in, in the New Testament era, which we are in. And he says, he compares them to uh, a group of children sitting in the marketplace calling to each other, saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. I'm a teacher, so sometimes I know that children, are, some, there are some situations where you can't please children, like the, you do one thing, you try to make them happy and then they're not happy and you, um, people in general are like that, but that's a childish thing. Uh, what Jesus is saying is they can't be pleased by God no matter who he sends or what he does uh, because they're sitting in judgment over him. Is that not true? You know, people who criticize God are putting themselves in the place of judgment over him. And uh, whatever God says or does, they receive through a, a lens of offense. Right? And so he, he, you do one thing. You've probably had that situation with people yourself where somebody somebody's upset with you or something, so you try to be nice to them, they don't like it. If you try, try to be stern with them, they don't like it, you know? And uh, at one t- no matter what, what the time is, they're sitting, they're offended because they bought into the enemy's lies about him. Ironically, this is kind of in contrast with what Jesus said later, uh, that to re- in order to receive the kingdom of God, you must humble yourself and become like a little child, like children, in order to enter the kingdom of God. Um, you need to be humble and believing. Matthew 18, two to four says, and calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So we see a key there um, about how do we receive this revelation of the Father that Jesus is talking about. And the key is humility, to humble ourselves before him. And, and, uh, you know, John came with baptism to prepare the way for Jesus. And baptism is a humbling event, right? Belinda, last week you were up here, and then they put water on you, right? Or you go down into the water and it represents death. Death is not a powerful state of, of being, right? <laughs> um, and, but, but that's the key to receiving Jesus is humility. Um, going on in Matthew 11, uh, after this, Jesus denounced and warned certain communities in Galilee where he'd been preaching and doing the miracles. And said, woe to you, Bethsaida, woe to you, Capernaum, uh, Chorazin. Because they had been hearing his words and seeing his actions, taking advantage of the miraculous power that he was offering uh, and his healing and deliverance. And yet 
evidently the majority of them were not really repenting and putting their faith in him. They thought he was cool. They thought it was an exciting event. It was fun. They enjoyed the free food or the free healing, but they did not repent and did not humble themselves. And he said it's going to be more tolerable on the day of judgment for ancient Sodom or for the pagan Gentiles, the sinful Gentiles, uh, at the judgment than for them. One thing is we should not presume that just because we're familiar with Jesus that we are disciples of him. Uh, looking back at chapter 10, we recall Jesus' words. Verse 38 and 39 in chapter 10. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Uh, so once again, Jesus is revealing God's ways as good and himself as Lord, right? Um, the proper response to this revelation is to repent of our rebellion against the Father and his good ways. Follow Jesus by faith as the Savior that we need, but also as the Lord who made us and redeemed us uh, without whom we have nothing, without whom uh, we would die and be judged in hell forever. He is the Lord. Um, any other response to Jesus to ignore, to disagree with, or to sit in judgment over the truth that Jesus reveals. The more revelation that we've received from God, Jesus says, the more we'll be accountable. Um, that's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, he said, and that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating Jesus wouldn't say that, would he? Evidently he did, yeah. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating, he will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. In other words, we are accountable for the truth that God reveals to us. This verse that Jesus said is probably one of the most sobering for me to read in the Bible because I know that in my lifetime I've been privileged. I've been given a lot of revelation of truth and probably so have you. And so Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus said, to whom much was given, much will be required. And therefore there are different levels of judgment and punishment. Um, and so again, what is that response, does that evoke in us? Even for us who have been Christians for a while, it's to humble ourselves before God. Say, God, Jesus, you are Lord, and you are righteous and holy, and I want to walk with you. After this, Jesus breaks into a prayer, uh, and he praises the Father. He says, I, uh, I thank you, Father, for hiding the revelation of truth from from the proud and revealing the truth to little children. 
Uh, I think the version Rich read said to babes. And why would God do this? Why would he, and why would Jesus praise him for that? For hiding truth from certain people, those who are wise and understanding by the world's standards, and revealing it to, to, to the, the simple, the humble, the, the children. And um, well, in First Peter, Peter writes, "Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another." For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here's another revelation about God's heart, who he is. He hates pride in humanity because it's wrong. It's just, it's not right. It's not who we are. Uh, but he gives grace to those who are humble. And this is what Jesus is meaning there. Why, why would God hide revelation from the proud? Because maybe it's mercy, because if they are proud and that hard-hearted, they're not going to receive it. Remember, he just said, those who have more revelation are going to be punished more severely. So it's the mercy of God to hide it from those who are, going to, who are prone to rejecting it, or at least at that time they're in that situation. But revealing it um, to the humble. Just finishing verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God desires to reveal his true father's heart and character to us, to each of us, which is his genuine love and care for us. He desires to lift us up and deal with the needs that cause us anxiety because that's what good loving fathers do. And again, in your life, you may not have experienced that from your earthly father, but that's what a righteous father does. He meets the needs and he cares for his children. Another thing that he reveals about himself is humility. He is humble and desires us to be humble like he is. Um, Psalm 103. Somebody came up here and talked about Psalm 103 this morning. Um, actually, I've got some homework assignments for you from this sermon, and this is your first one. And I didn't type it right on the PowerPoint. But it should say Psalm 103, not Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is good as well. Um, but Psalm 103 uh, is an Old Testament revelation about the Father heart of God. And I would like you to open that up sometime this week and just read through it and meditate on what it says about who God is and what his, his attitude toward us is like. One thing it says in verse eight is, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's who he is as a father. Now, going on into Matthew 11 to verse 27, Jesus builds to the main point of what he's teaching us. And he says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father 
except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. I was excited when I heard I get to preach Matthew 11 because when I was in college, my junior year, this, uh, the, this set of verses, this passage in here, God just, I don't know, supernaturally used it. There was just a time I was going through a lot of struggle, uh, anxiety, um, hard work for school, um, just, just different things, and my teachers were pounding me with stuff that wasn't necessarily true. And so there came a time I just got like kind of confused. It was just a, I feel like it was a demonic oppression. I just was walking around and I was like, does God even exist? Is the Bible real? Is that? Which was stupid because I've had revelation upon revelation throughout my life and I've believed in God since I was a babe, basically. And um, <laughs> so after about three days of thinking this way, um, I'm sitting in my dorm room in the evening just like uh, oppressed and somebody knocks on the door. My friend Brett uh, sticks his hand in. Hey Steve, how you doing? He's like, oh to tell you the truth Brett, not good and I kind of explained the whole situation to him. He's like, well, read the word, bye. And he closed the door. He's <laughs> like, thanks Brett. Uh, but you know, he... Uh, it was exactly the right thing to say at that time. I was like, yeah, I'll do what he said. And I just cracked open my Bible and it turned to Matthew 11 and I just started reading. And it's that whole passage. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, but just, just the Lord spoke to me right then. It just I don't know, I, I just call it revelation because it wasn't like, this vast theological understanding about anything, but it was just that God just broke through all of that, whatever doubt, oppression that the enemy was trying to put on me about God, and, um, and I felt free, and like, oh, I'm fine. <laughs> and it was just something in that, you know, that he reveals it to babes, and come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Um, here's his revelation. Uh, and that is an invitation to return and come and be adopted back into his family. Come back into right relationship with him. Maybe we've believed a lie about him. Maybe we are saved, but we've been believing a lie about him in a certain area of our life because the enemy certainly does that for us who are Christians. And... Uh, and he um, says, come back to God, humble yourself. And this is the invitation Jesus gives. I'll read it again. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Who is God? He's gentle. Do we, does the world see God as gentle? lowly, humble in heart. That's who God is. Or you might say, oh no, that's Jesus. The Father's not like that. Well no, Jesus said he and the Father are one. They think the same way. Holy Spirit the same way. All three of them have the same attitude, the same character, the same view towards you, the same heart towards us. 
gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You know, that yoke is it's a picture of uh, like what oxen would wear. I think there's a picture there, Zadok, coming up somewhere. Um, yeah, I guess not yet. But uh, it would fit over, it would connect a pair of oxen together by the neck. And if Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, he's talking about be hooked up next to me. You know, he's got the strength. We've got the weakness, but he's got the strength. Pull along with me or let me pull along with you is really what he's saying, right? But what he's saying is he is not oppressive to us. He's not trying to lay, he won't lay on us a burden that we can't bear. In fact, he will bear our burdens even to the point where he says we can bear other people's burdens um, in his name. Uh, As a father, he's not harsh. He's not a taskmaster. He's not distant or uninterested or too busy. He's not unjust. He's not selfish. He's not proud. These are the things the devil will say about him. Read the description of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's a famous one, right? Um, That's your second homework assignment this week is read through that and realize God is love. This is what love is. This is a description of your Father in heaven. So read through that and think about what does that mean about God? He's, He's not a weak God, but he's patient and kind. He's not harsh with you. But regarding your attitudes and behavior, he bears all things. He believes all things good about you. In other words, he's got a good plan for your life. He, he, he hasn't given up on you. He believes all things about you. He hopes all things. He endures all things. Have you, <laughs> how much have we made God endure, but he has endured it? We're all still here today, right? <laughs> we haven't been struck down by a lightning bolt. Uh, He's the one who says, come to me for rest. He's the one who is gentle and humble in heart. He's the one whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. You know, we're living in a time when uh, burdens and offenses abound. And we are more aware of it this last few weeks than ever because people are more emboldened to come out with what they're offended by. And point out, you offend me. You offend me when you say that. You offend me when you do that. And everything is about the oppressor and the oppressed. And you know what? There is oppression in the world. And there is injustice. And, um, and we are called to fight against injustice because that's, that's the Father's heart, right? But we are not called to walk around offended all the time. We are not called to become bitter we are not called to carry that burden. It's too heavy. It will crush us. We are not called to bear our own burdens of our own sin. That's too heavy to bear, and it will crush us. Let me just read a proverb for you from, actually first a verse from the psalm, Psalm 38.4. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. And it's true, none of us can bear our own guilt. It results in death. Um, people are always casting blame and we blame ourselves or others. Sometimes it's deserved and sometimes it's not. 
but it's always a burden we can't bear. In Proverbs 27.4, it says, Stone is heavy and sand a burden, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Okay, so we, we can't carry the burdens that, are, that we're accused of by others as well. And uh, Jesus, he's the one that said, come to me, lay that burden down for me. I took it to the cross. I paid the price for all those things at the cross. Lay them down and stop carrying that offense. Stop carrying that guilt. And take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy my burden is light i am gentle and humble in heart in me you will find rest for your soul jesus reveals to us the goodness and righteousness and love of the father then invites us to come to him and lay that all down the load of sin and injustice that's been done to us the things that people when you really talk to them, they say, I'm offended at God for this, or I'm offended at these people. Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to my loved one? Why is this happening in the world? And he's saying, come lay that at at his feet, lay it at the cross, and humbly follow him. The Father is not to be blamed, but rather he's to be sought for the solutions to all those things that harm and vexed us. How do we know for sure? Because what did Jesus do when he came to, her, to earth? He, by the power of God, he miraculously, he, he brought justice, he brought healing, he brought deliverance, he brought um, the, the answers to all of those things. Uh, the one I like, it even when Peter needed to pay a tax, he said, go fishing and catch a fish and pull the coin out of the fish's mouth. He's the provider financially. All of those things, he says, come to him because I'm the father, that's who I am and that's my job. He is good when? All the time. Do you believe it? That's the choice, right? That's what Jesus is saying. And he's shown us that humbly, let's come and humbly lay our burdens at his feet. Take up his yoke and receive his rest. Before we pray, I've got one third homework assignment for you, and that is I want you to take time this week and think about what's your conception of what the Father is like? Like, how have you pictured or thought of him in your mind? And it might be influenced by father figures in in your human life. Um, all of us probably have some issues with how we see the Father in one way or another. Then compare them with the actions and words of Jesus. And to do that, don't just assume you know what Jesus said and did, but search the scriptures. And search the rest of the scriptures and find out what is it saying about God, our Father. Um, And meditate on those things. Um, so that, and just pray, Father, reveal your heart to me. And we sang that song earlier, didn't we? Uh, Precious Lord, reveal your heart to me. You are holy. Holy, holy means perfect and just. Um, nothing bad, nothing evil in him toward us. Let's pray.
Father, we love you. We thank you. We bless your name. And Lord, we come humbly before you this morning. And lies have been thrown around about you, Father, about who you are, that you bless some people while you don't bless others, or you, uh, you don't care, or you're, you're too weak, you're disinterested. Those things are all lies. You're too strict, you're unfair. Those are all lies. Lord, we know that you are good. And Lord, this morning we come with the burdens that we are carrying and every person may be carrying something different, but Lord, we just take those things and lay them at your feet. We thank you for Jesus that you reached out for us that while we were still sinners, we were the ones who were unjust and wrong and that you sent your son to die for us to redeem us and to bring us and adopt us back into your family. So Lord, this morning we humble ourselves before you and we say, Holy Spirit, come do your work in us because Jesus said that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will take all that I have and reveal it to us, things that, that we can't now bear, but he will come and reveal them at the right time. And all that the Father has is his. And that's all things that the Holy Spirit has to reveal to us. So, Lord, we're expecting Holy Spirit come and reveal truth deep in our hearts of who you are and change us. And Lord, uh, then let us uh, overflow with your goodness as we go and meet other people. Lord, we love you and bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you. Amen.